Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 19. The Bible says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. Now, I don't know what version we've got up there, but that's not the King James. That looks like the not inspired version. All right, we'll get it corrected here. Let's try that again. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And so tonight we are in part three of this lesson that I have entitled Lifting a Standard. Amen. Lifting a a standard. And uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask for his anointing, for revelation tonight to those who might need it. I need his strength tonight. I really need his touch. Let's, let's put our Bibles down, lift our voices, lift our hands, and let's talk to the Lord together. Jesus. God, we praise you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Would you just praise him one more time before you're seated tonight? Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I, I do want to take a little time tonight to do a bit of a review uh, and again, I want to encourage anyone and everyone who has not heard the previous portions, first of all, of this lesson, to go back and listen to those. They are available on our website at no cost. And then um, if you haven't heard the entire series, I think that it would be of benefit for you to go back and catch any of the lessons you may have missed so that you can be up to speed with where we are and exactly what we're discussing because we're going to be saying things tonight uh, based on previous lessons and I don't have time to go back and reteach those lessons. And so I would encourage you just to get on the website and go back and listen. But for the sake of tonight's lesson, I do want to do a little bit of a review. I have spent some time talking about the need for standards of holiness. And I, I offered uh, reasons why we need a standard. And I talked about the fact that standards are a very essential a form of protection for the people of God. I talked about how they serve as a fence that is a protective boundary. It keeps the enemy out. 
and it provides safeguards to keep you from falling. That's why holiness standards are needed and why they are so important. But then we went on to talk about, especially in the last uh, lesson, we have been talking about where these standards come from and the fact that they're not just set arbitrarily. It's not just a matter of, well, this is my preference, so this is the way I want everybody to live. Uh, it's, it's much, there, there's much more involved than that. In fact, we set out to show you six ways that standards are established. And, and I, I mentioned to you that these really are, they really form a bit of a hierarchy, if I could call it that, in that with each of these ways that I set, the one after it uh, cannot supersede the one before it. So, so as we lay these out, you can't come down here and say, well, you said that standards could be set this way, and, and you pick that one to put at the top of the list. Uh, it, it doesn't work that way, all right? So, so I want to go back and just remind you of the ones that we've discussed so far. Uh, we've talked about three of the six in our previous lessons. Um, in the first session, I, I, I got only as far as the first reason, and that first reason is the Word of God sets standards. The Word of God. Now, I again want to stress that's the highest one. And so no matter what else comes down this line, it can never contradict the first one. So any standard that is clearly established by the Scripture, nothing else matters. That's settled. There can be no argument. There can be no debate. And, and, and let me just tell you, I, I've heard it many times. Of course, I think I've heard just about everything in my 40 years of pastoring. I think I've, I've pretty well run the gamut on excuses and reasons and, um, you know, all of the, all the things that people would say as to why they're not obligated to hold to that standard. And, and one of the more common is, well, I'm not convicted of it. Well, I want to tell you, if the Word of God says it's wrong, it doesn't matter if you're convicted or not, number one. Well, I don't feel bad when I do it. Well, again, if the Word of God says it, it doesn't matter if you feel bad when you do it or not. If the Word of God says it, it's wrong. But number two, if the Word of God says it and you know the Word of God says it and you don't feel bad, there's something wrong with your spirit. If you can't feel guilty knowing you're going against what the Scripture says, there's something bad wrong with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I don't have time to reteach all this, but I would just remind you, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So don't tell me you love Jesus when you read something in his word and you won't abide by what his word says. This is the way you prove your love to him is through obedience to his word. So number one, the word of God sets standards. Everyone say the word of God. So the Word of God sets standards. Number two, the Spirit of God sets standards. Everyone say the Spirit of God. Spirit of God. And we talked about this in our last lesson or our last 
part to this lesson, part two. Uh, we talked about how the Spirit of God can set standards. And, and what we talked about was there are times when, when things come up that the Bible may not say it in black and white. But the Spirit of God brings conviction. And one of the examples we gave was nicotine. That years ago, our forefathers preached against nicotine long before medical science had determined that it was detrimental to your health. They, they didn't know that it caused cancer. But the Spirit of God convicted them of it. And so without any scripture, they preached against it. And rightfully so, because time has proven there is scripture for it. We're not to defile our body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So there is good scripture for it, but they didn't know that scripture when they started preaching against it. They were just sensitive enough to the Holy Ghost to let the Spirit of God set a standard. And there are times that has to happen. And there are times that, that saints of God just have to know. I may not be able to find chapter and verse, but something in the spirit doesn't feel good about this. And so the spirit of God sets standards. Number three, the man of God sets standards. I want to say the man of God. And, and this, this, again... The man of God can't supersede the Word of God. The Spirit of God can't supersede the Word of God. Nothing supersedes that. And I think I mentioned this last week, but I actually had a woman say one time, the Holy Ghost told me it was okay for me to smoke. Um, no, the Holy Ghost would not tell you it's okay to be unholy. It may have been a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Nothing is ever going to contradict the word of God if it's right. And so even the preacher does not have authority. This is why, let, let me just tell you, when a pastor gets up and tells his people, you don't have to abide by thus and so, he doesn't have that authority. If the word of God says it's wrong, he doesn't have the authority. And people say, well, my pastor doesn't preach against it. Doesn't matter if he doesn't preach against it. If the word of God says it's wrong, then it's still wrong. Yes, and you're still going to have to answer to God for the fact that it's wrong. Yes. Now, he's going to have to answer to God for the fact that he didn't preach against it. But whether he preaches against it or not, if it's in the word of God, you've got a Bible. And God's going to hold you accountable for what's in that book. In fact, he's going to judge you based on what's in that book. That's what the Bible says. He's going to open the books of the Bible and judge everybody based on their works, comparing them to the books of the Bible. So you better know what's in this book. 
Now, again, there may be things that the Bible's not black and white, and maybe the Spirit's not necessarily convicting somebody of it, but the pastor may have to get up and draw a line and say, this is where we're going to set the standard for this assembly. He's got to have the liberty to be able to do that for the safety of the saints. And we talked about this. We, if, if you remember me reading the poem about the fence or the ambulance, and, and the fact of the matter is that it's much better to build a fence for protection than to have an ambulance to try to pick up the pieces. And sometimes that's what a standard is doing, is simply building a fence to say, don't go over this line. It's not because one inch from that fence is a sin. That's not what it's about. It's about the direction it may take you and how dangerous it becomes once you cross that line. And so different pastors may set the lines in different places. As long as they don't violate the scripture... And they don't violate what the Spirit has made clear. Then they have the liberty to set a standard. All right? So we're, we're all together on the first three. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the man of God. That's the top three. Now, let's go from there and talk about the last three. Maybe we can get all of these done tonight. Number four may come as a surprise to you when I say this, and especially uh, those that have traveled with me to Africa, you've heard me deal with this particular subject some, but not from this standpoint. So I want to be very careful how I say it, but yet there is a fact behind this. So number four is godly traditions set standards. Now, that got real quiet because I've preached a lot about how tradition can lead you astray. And sometimes people coming out of a denominal church are very concerned about traditions. But let me tell you, there are many traditions that are good to keep. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Stand fast. And hold the traditions. And hold, wait a minute, and hold what? The traditions. Hold what? The traditions. The traditions. Which ye have been which taught. Which you have been taught. Whether by word. Whether by word. Or our epistle. Or our epistle. Now, the apostle Paul said there are some traditions that we hold among the apostolic churches. Right. He didn't say these are things that are spelled out in scripture. He just said, this is the way we do it as apostolics. And there are times when as apostolics, we have certain traditions to which we adhere. They don't contradict the scripture. They don't violate the spirit. But they've proven to be a good tradition. They've just proven to serve the work of God well. We'll get into some of those things when we actually start dealing with specific standards. But I'll give you some examples when I get to those lessons. But I just want to tell you, there are certain things that no, I can't show you chapter and verse that says, you must do this. 
But this much I know that for many, many years, apostolics have done it. And it's worked well for us. And when somebody comes along and starts wanting to overthrow those traditions, there's always an ulterior motive. Always, without exception. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh this now, now look, look. In chapter 2, verse 15, he said, Hold the traditions which we've taught you. The very next chapter, he says, Now I command you. This is an apostolic command. I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm telling you, he's being pretty strong about this. Yeah. That you do what? Withdraw yourselves. That you withdraw yourselves from whom? From every brother, every that, brother walketh that walks disorderly. And not, and after, not the after the tradition which he received, which of, he us. received of us. Hmm. Boy, that's strong language. I'm telling you, when you see these guys out there and all of a sudden they're starting to challenge the things that we've always done, the way we've always looked, and they want to start making changes to our appearance or making changes to our worship service, can I show you in the scripture why we have to have a pulpit? No. But I'm concerned about these guys that are, that are bringing in a bar stool. Come on. Now, I'm sitting on a stool for most of tonight, but it's not a bar stool. It's a pulpit stool. That's a pulpit stool. Thank you. We're retitling that. But I'm telling you, there's a move among oneness apostolics to get rid of the pulpit and dress casual. Now, can I show you you have to wear a suit when you're on the platform? No. But I'm going to tell you, these traditions have served us well. They've served us well for, for centuries. They really have. They've worked very well for us to have a good pulpit to stand behind, to deliver the word of God, to come in and look our best when we are doing service for the king. Those traditions have served us well. And, and it bothers me. And I watch these, well, I feel a spirit of Leonard Westberg on me tonight. I watch these cats. These young bucks come in and want to start changing everything. Throw out the pulpit. Dress in their tattered jeans. Pull out their shirt sleeve. Get rid of their tie. And then we're just going to talk about Jesus for a little while. Church, I'm telling you, the apostle Paul said, there are certain traditions we have held to. And he said, I'm telling you, I feel so strongly about those traditions that if somebody won't abide by those traditions, you withdraw from him. And he didn't just say, I suggest that you withdraw. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus to withdraw. 
I mean, that's, that really goes beyond a mandate. That's almost a rebuke. They want to start painting the walls black and putting in all kinds of strobe lights and turn on smoke machines and, and, and do away with our old-fashioned form of worship. God help us. There are some traditions we want to hold to. There are some traditions that are worth keeping. They have worked. They have brought us to this point. They have served the church well. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now I don't know why the King James translators chose to translate it, the word ordinance here, but the literal word is tradition. Hmm. All right. And so he said to the Corinthian church, now, now look, the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. They had a lot of problems. We've talked about this before, right? Uh, the first three chapters, he's dealing with division in the church. Chapter four, there's a little bit, there, there, there's a lack of respect for the ministry. Chapter five, um, chapter five, he is dealing with um, incest in the church. Chapter six, they're, they're suing one another. Uh, chapter seven, there's marriage problems. Uh, chapter 9, they got problems with tithing and offerings. Chapter 11, they've got authority problems. Chapters 12 through 14, they've got issues with the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 15, there's some of them that don't believe in the resurrection. I mean, there's problems in this church, all right? But Paul said, I will praise you for one thing. And that is, you keep the traditions that I've handed you. There's some traditions that I gave you when I started this church and you're still holding to those traditions and I praise you for that. So not all traditions are bad. They're bad when they contradict scripture or they go against one of these other principles. That's why I'm telling you this is a hierarchy. So you don't want to come and say, well, this has been our tradition. I know it violates scripture. I actually had a man tell me that one time. He said, I know the Bible says to be baptized in Jesus' name, but our tradition is to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Wow. Well, your tradition cannot be put higher than the Word of God. Right. Right. But as long as it doesn't contradict one of those first three, then there are traditions that serve the church well, and we ought to love those traditions and adhere to those traditions. Yeah. Praise God. In fact, let me read this verse from, first of all, the uh, English Standard Version says this, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. God's Word translation says, I praise you for always thinking about me and for carefully following the traditions that I handed down to you. You look at Daniel. You know, we talk about Daniel and how God spared him. 
and and um, and and how Dan, how God spared the, the three Hebrews. You know what they were doing? They they refused to eat the king's meat. That wasn't really based on a scripture per se. There was no scripture that said they couldn't eat king eat meat prepared by a king. But it was a tradition among them. And they were holding to a tradition. And look what God did for them for holding that tradition. Now, here's, here's something you don't, you don't hear about a whole lot. But, but go to, to Jeremiah 35 and verse number 14. Jeremiah 35 and verse 14 says this. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine are performed. For unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearken not unto me. Now, now what happened is God told Jeremiah, go down to the house of Rechab and, 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 and set up a table and try to serve them wine and see what happens. And, and, and please don't get hung up on this because the word wine in the Bible they, they, didn't, they never used the term grape juice. Wine meant both fermented and unfermented juice from the grape. So just because you read the word wine in the Bible doesn't mean that they were getting drunk. In fact, personally, I believe that's why Noah got drunk. I don't think it was an intentional thing. Part of the process of fermentation is the rays of the sun. And with the flood, that band of waters that had protected the earth and filtered the sun's rays came crashing down on the earth, and the sun is now hitting the earth at full strength. That's one of the reasons why people quit living as long after the flood was the effects of the sun. And I believe, Brother Hilton, that because the sun has an impact on the process of fermentation, I think that Noah didn't really realize that this juice had become fermented. Tasted different. But I think that he got drunk before he even knew. That's, that's just me. I can't prove that, but I think that's what was going on. So don't think that just because Jeremiah was commanded to go and present wine to them that he was trying to get them drunk. But he goes down and he sets it up and says, here, I want you to drink. And they said, nope. Not going to do it. Well, why not? There's no scriptural prohibition against wine itself. If you remember, that also means grape juice. Now, there is a prohibition against looking at the wine when it gives its color in the cup and it moves itself aright. I mean, the, the Bible's very clear. Once it's fermented, you stay away from it. But to just say you can't drink wine, again, remembering that was their term for grape juice. So he sets it out in front of them. There's no prohibition against drinking that. But they refused to do it. And he said, why? Why won't you drink it? And they said, because our father said two things. Number one, we will never live in houses. His descendants would always live in tents. We'll never be in a permanent house. And number two, his descendants will never drink wine. Now, there was no scripture to require them to live this way. 
But, but many, many years and generations passed and they were still holding to that tradition. And God was so impressed with them that he sent the prophet down there to show him and then let the prophet come back and preach to the rest of Israel and say, there are clear commandments in scripture you refuse to keep and here are the Rechabites refusing to break a tradition. They are more conscientious about their family tradition than you are about the word of God. But God commended them for keeping their tradition. I'm telling you, especially with, with, with new generations that come on the scene, it just happens. They start looking around at things that they don't understand. And they start questioning everything. And they want to see which of these landmarks can we move and get by with it. But the goal is never just that one landmark. You hear me? The goal is to move all of them. But if they can get by with moving one, then they'll move a second one. And if they can move two, they'll move a third. And so I'm telling you, we must not be quick to discredit traditions that, that we have held as apostolics. I'm going to tell you that, that these traditions have come to us through much prayer. This is another thing that may, amazes me. You go back and look at our forefathers and the amount of time they spent in prayer. And then they came up with some of these traditions that we hold. And now there are guys that don't spend 15 minutes in prayer. And all of a sudden they're smarter than those elders. Because they got a degree and the elder didn't. And where did you get that degree? Did you get the degree from somebody spiritual? Did you get that degree from a group of, of good, solid, praying, apostolic elders? No, you went to some carnal seminary that most likely doesn't even understand the oneness of God and they hand you a piece of paper and now you think you're smarter than the elders. Well, I'm off in territory. I'm... I'm telling you the traditions that we hold before you just discount them and start throwing them away and discrediting them understand that these traditions came to us through men of great prayer consecration, dedication and, and listen there are times that, that we may not have black and white scripture for it but perhaps we're having to do this because we don't want to be associated with a certain group or a certain lifestyle. Now, um, well, I won't go into that. But, but there are just times that you see a certain thing. And, and there's, no, uh, there's no black and white chapter and verse that says don't do it but you're seeing a certain segment of the world do it 
And you don't want people to associate you with that segment of the world. And so some of these traditions are to keep us separate from the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says this. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In the multitude of counselors. Now, this, of course, this is scripture, so it's true. But let me just, let me just caution you. This would be in the multitude of godly counselors. That's the understood adjective. Because you can get a multitude of ungodly counselors. And there's not going to be any safety in that. Uh, see, some folks, they, they want to they run to this scripture. Their multitude of counselors is all their own peers. You familiar with Rehoboam? Does that name ring a bell? Rehoboam had all of the counselors of his father, the elders of Israel. And he went to them and he said, you know, this people's asking me to lighten up a little bit. And the elders said, you know, Rehoboam, if you will listen to them, they'll love you like they loved your dad. They'll stand with you. They'll support you. They'll strengthen your kingdom. And then he talked to his buddies, his peers. And they said, nah, you got to prove how tough you are. You go in and tell them that your little finger is thicker than your father's thighs. He chastised you with whips, but you're going to use scorpions. You let them know you're going to be tough. And he thought, yeah, I like that better. And so he tried it. And you know what happened? Out of 12 tribes in Israel, he lost 10. 10 out of 12. So, yes, there is safety in the multitude of counselors if they're godly counselors. But you run to your peers to hear what you want to hear. There's no safety there. Amen. Let's not discount the voice of the elders. Amen, amen. Uh, I, listen, I want to tell you something. I, I say this, I say it a lot in our M&M class. I want to say it publicly as well. It really bothers me. It just bothers me. When I get around elders, and I know... You know, anymore at, at 63, I'm an elder to a lot of folks. But I still, I bring other men in that are my age and older. And, and it just bothers me when there are younger men who just have to put in their two cents. They've got to express their opinion. They've got to be heard. I want to just sit and listen to these men. I want to hear what they've got to say. They don't need to hear from me. I need to hear from them. Well, praise God. 
So it's wise to revere and respect those traditions that have become standards for us, that have been handed to us from the elders. Whether we understand it or not, we don't want to just throw them away. Number five. I'm, I'm trying to hurry. I'm, I'm trying to get this done. Number five. So, so number one is what? The Word of God. The word of God. Number two? Spirit. Spirit of God. Number three? Man of God. Number four, godly traditions. All right? Number five, and this one would blow the minds if the men in Africa heard me say this because I've fought them on this so much. But there is a part of this that is indeed true. But again, it's got to be kept in the context. It's all the way down the line now. Out of six, this is number five. Their problem is they want to make it number one. But it's all the way down to number five. And number five is this. Culture sets standards. Now, let me explain that to you. There are certain cultures where the lighting of a candle in church speaks of praying for the dead. That's why they light candles. They're praying for some dead soul in purgatory to get them out of purgatory and into heaven. And that's why they light a candle. Now, I want to tell you, you go into that culture and you say, tonight we're having a candle lighting service. Mm -hmm. Do you know what you just did? You just brought confusion to people that have been delivered out of that culture. And you've brought that culture into the kingdom. Now, we can have a candlelight service here and not have a problem with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we don't have to battle that in our culture. But in some cultures, it would make a difference. We, we want to be careful... We don't want our good to be evil spoken of. Nor do we want to, to embrace the appearance of evil. Right? The Bible tells us to shun the very appearance of evil. And so if it appears evil in that culture, then we want to be careful and allow that culture under these other umbrellas first. And again, this is when I get to Africa and I start preaching against certain things, I say, yeah, but our culture. Mm -hmm. Well, there are things in American culture that we have to reject. American culture is getting to the place where it's culturally the norm now to accept homosexuality. That is the American culture now. But that violates scripture. And so we can't just say, okay, well, we're going to change it because of culture. No. Because our first and foremost culture is the culture of the kingdom. And if our national culture violates kingdom culture, we must adhere to kingdom culture first.
But if it's not a matter of violating kingdom culture, then we do take into consideration the national culture. Well, praise God. You know, we at, at one time we had several deaf people that were coming to church. And, and the King James uses this term. They say he had a deaf and dumb spirit. And I, I, I hear people a lot of times talking about somebody that's deaf and dumb. Now, we know what that means. When, when we use that word, it means mute. But to those who are deaf, the word is offensive. So to them, you don't sign deaf and dumb. It's deaf and mute. Right? So culture, right here in Olathe, where, where there are thousands of deaf people, culture ought to dictate a standard to us. That we don't talk about deaf and dumb. Culture would, would help us to establish that we want to be more, if, if we're going to win them, we want to be sensitive and use the term mute. Look, and, and, and I've seen this happen, and I'm going to tell you, it's very offensive to them. But a lot of times they come in a service and somebody that's well-meaning comes in and puts their fingers in their ears and starts rebuking that spirit. And, and that's very offensive to a deaf person. Now, there are certain things about their deaf culture that do violate kingdom culture. I'm just being honest with you. They do. Their deaf culture teaches them that God wants them deaf. And I don't believe that for a minute. And I've asked them, when you get to heaven, are you still going to be deaf? No. Well, then why do you think God wants you that way here? Well, that's the way we were born. Well, I see you've got glasses on. Why don't you say God wants you blind? So, so th this is what I'm talking about, where culture, it has to be filtered through everything else. But once you've come through all of these other things, then there are some areas where culture can dictate the standard. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is none other God but one. All right, so, so Paul, evidently the Corinthians have asked him, what do we do about, if we know that this meat's been offered to an idol, what do we do? And Paul said, well, look, first of all, let's talk about this. That idol is nothing. Right. It's not really a God. Right. It's some figure made with man's hands. Yeah. Right? So, so that's the first thing he says. But then he goes down, read verses 7 through 12. How be it? There is... How be it? There's not in there every is man, not in every man that, knowledge. that knowledge. So we know as Christians that the idol is nothing. Right. But not everybody knows that. Right. Read. For some with conscience of the idol until this hour, until this hour 
eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. So there are some that look at this and say, wait a minute, this has been offered to an idol. Read. And their conscience being weak is defiled. And so they feel defiled. They feel defiled. Read. But meat commendeth us not to God. But, but that meat doesn't make us, doesn't bring God's favor or God's disfavor. Right. Read. For neither if we eat are we better. Neither if we eat not are we the worse. Right. Do you understand what he's saying? He's trying to explain to the Corinthian church. There's this issue now among you. What do we do about meat that's offered to idols? Well, the idol is nothing. Whether we eat the meat or we don't eat the meat, we're not any better off, we're not any worse off. Mm -hmm. But, he says, verse 9, Take heed lest by take any means, heed lest by any means, this liberty, this of, yours liberty of yours become, a stumbling, become block a stumbling block to them that are weak. So, you know the idol's nothing. You know that the, food, the meat doesn't condemn you nor bless you. Uh -huh. But be careful in using that liberty that you don't offend somebody else. Read. For if any man see thee, which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin, so, but when ye sin, so against the brethren and, and wound their weak and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. So, so look at what he said. There, there's, he said, there's no sin in eating meat. Right. But there is a sin in wounding the conscience of a brother. When you know this is going to trip your brother up. You know. And, and look, this is one of the things that, that people, th this whole idea, well, it doesn't bother me. So why should I refrain? Mm -hmm. That's as selfish as you can possibly get. Because you're not thinking about your brother or your sister. Amen. If it's going to be a stumbling block to them, that's where you're committing sin. Mm -hmm. Maybe the thing you're wanting to do is not a sin. Maybe it's not. But if you offend them, you've sinned. Romans 14, 7 says this. For none of us liveth to himself. Because nobody lives to himself. And no man dies. And nobody dies to himself. I'm telling you, you can say, well, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't matter. But I'm telling you, you do matter. I'm telling you, every person sitting in this sanctuary tonight matters. All right. And you may look at yourself and say, well, that doesn't really, you know, if I show up or I don't show up, it doesn't matter. If I do this or I do that, it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect anybody. It only affects me. I am telling you that is the farthest thing from the truth. You are part of a family and you're part of a body. And whatever you do affects the rest of the body. You are having an impact on everybody else. Nobody lives to himself and nobody dies to himself. You have an impact on somebody. 
Amen. It's true. Sometimes just seeing your face in church is an encouragement to somebody else. Especially if they know you're going through a struggle and yet they see you coming to church. It lifts their spirits. It, it gives them the courage to face their difficulty and come to church. We can't just do this based on what makes us feel bad or makes us feel good. We've right. got to think about everybody else. Right. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not up to us to judge our brother. And it's not up to us to set our brother at naught. In other words, to ignore them. It's not our job to tell them they're right or wrong in whatever they're doing. Amen. That's not our job. But it is our job to live our life in such a way that we don't cause them to stumble. That is our job. Well, praise God. All right, I've got 10 minutes. I've got one more to go. We're going to get it done. So number five is culture sets standards. And then finally, number six, last on the list, and again, understanding that this is at the bottom of the list and it has to be filtered through everything else that we have presented so far. The Word of God, the man of God, the Spirit of God, godly traditions, culture, and now number six, the individual sets standards. Now, does everybody understand that doesn't mean you can set your standard regardless of what the Bible says, regardless of what the preacher preaches, regardless of what the Holy Ghost says, regardless of what culture is. No, no, no. The individual once it's all been filtered through that, mm -hmm. you can then set certain standards for yourself. All right. Uh, let, me, let me just give you an example. Um, years ago, my, in my first pastorate, and, and I've told this story before, but for the sake of those who haven't heard it, please bear with me. Um, but in my first pastorate, there was a man that I heard preach. I was very impressed, just really good man. Everything I'd heard about him was a good man, and I invited him to come preach for me. But the man was really, he was really into music, and, and his music was bluegrass. He played the banjo, and he, you know, uh, sang through his nose, and, you know, was, I mean, everything else that's associated with bluegrass music. And um, that bluegrass is not my thing. It's not my thing, but, but anyhow, he, that's what he did. And that was, that was, it was his thing. And so he came in before he preached, he sang two or three bluegrass songs, not, not bluegrass, but bluegrass gospel songs. And, um, you know what I'm saying? Bluegrass style with a Christian message. 
And, and I didn't think anything about it. Like I said, it's, you know, it's not really my thing. Um, but I didn't think anything about it. But after service, one of the ladies came to me. She was a fairly new convert, had not been in church maybe a few years, but not a long period of time. And she came to me and she said, I'm sorry, Brother Riggin, but, but, but that music bothered me tonight. And I looked at her and she said, the whole time he was playing and singing, I kept having flashbacks of when I was sitting in the bar room. And it kept reminding me of where I came from. And I couldn't quit thinking about that old lifestyle. I know the words were Christian, but, but it just kept taking me back. Now, I'd, I'd never been in her shoes. I never had that problem. So the music didn't do that to me. But it did to her. And so she needed to set a standard. To not listen to that kind of music. It's not a standard for me. It's not a standard for the church. But for her. Now I will tell you. Knowing she's sitting there. I'm not going to have the guy back. Knowing it bothers her. Or if I do I'm going to ask him not to sing. Because again. I don't want to offend my sister. I don't want to throw a stumbling block in front of her. Right? But for her, th there are those that spent their lives gambling. And I'm telling you that there, there are little games that, that we play where we roll dice to play. But there are people that spent their life gambling that dice to them carries them back to an old life. And so they have to set a standard in their life. I, I, I just can't, I can't pick up a pair of dice. I'm sorry. It's just too much like where I came from. I can't do it. And listen, when they set that standard, don't make fun of them. Don't criticize them. Don't be critical of them. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse 13. Wherefore, if meat make thy brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul said, look, if, if, it, if it's going to put a stumbling block in front of my brother, I just, I'll be a vegetarian the rest of my life. If that's what it takes to keep my brother saved, right. I care that much about saving somebody else. Many, many, many. Now, he's not saying everybody has to be a vegetarian. But Paul is just making it clear that I would rather refrain from certain activities. I'll impose some standards on myself that I don't preach to anybody else. But I'm going to do it because I don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody else. Praise God. Don't ever ridicule or criticize someone else's convictions if they've got a conviction that goes beyond what's preached in the church now, now having said that you know there's always two sides to everything 
And I have talked to men that, that they, they get people in their church that will intentionally set stricter standards because they want the church to know I'm more spiritual than anybody else. It's not really about a conviction they have. It's about self-righteousness. And, and believe it or not, sometimes holding a stronger conviction can be just as much a spirit of rebellion as living a lesser standard. It really can. It can be just as much a spirit of rebellion. Because I'm going to prove just that, that preacher is not spiritual enough. I, I, there was a man in the church in another state that had this belief that if you got sick, it's because there was sin in your life. And he'd get up and testify about it. In fact, one night I was sick. And, and this church knows after 27 years, I rarely miss church because of sickness. I just, if I don't come to church, you know I am sick. And this was one of those nights I was sick. They had testimony service that night. And he decided that was the night for him to get up and share his conviction with everybody. If you're sick, it's because there's sin in your life. I'm going to tell you, you know, that's, um, that's as much a spirit of rebellion as anything else. It really is. If, if God truly gives you a conviction, live it, hold to it, believe it. I've cautioned people, if you feel convicted about something, don't look at whether somebody else does it or not. Don't violate your conscience. Right. The same token that some people won't use dice, there are people who won't use any kind of playing cards. Or if they use a playing card, it can't be normal playing cards. It has to be something like Rook or Uno. But, but you know, the, the playing cards with aces and kings and queens and jacks, they won't play those kinds of games. But that's their conviction. Don't ridicule them for that. Right. Don't criticize them for that. You don't know where God saved them from. Amen. The other side of the coin is if you do feel convicted about it, don't push against the conviction. I've told people never violate your conscience. Because once you start violating your conscience, it is a downward spiral that doesn't stop. If your conscience says don't do this, then don't do it. Now, your conscience can't be the only guide. Again, I hope I'm, I hate to keep bouncing back and forth to the extremes, but I want you to understand your conscience is not the only guide. If the word of God says it's wrong... Doesn't matter if your conscience condemns you or not. It's wrong. The Spirit of God said it's wrong. Doesn't matter about your conscience. It's wrong. If the man of God says we're not going to do it in this church, doesn't matter if your conscience is, uh, uh, strikes you or not. It's wrong. But when everything else has been filtered out and there's still this one little area, your conscience says, I just can't do it. I know everybody else does, but I can't. 
if it's come through every one of those other things, then you can set a standard for yourself. But don't expect everybody else to follow it. Don't expect everybody else to abide by it just because you hold that conviction. All right. All right. So it's nine o'clock and I've, I've gotten through the six ways. Let, let, me, just, let me just close by, 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 by telling you that standards truly are important to the church. Regardless of their origin, they are important to us. They're important because they point men to Christ. They show the world that we're different and the world needs to see that we're different. The devil wants you to think that people will despise you if you're different. And some will. But I'm going to tell you, you maintain that difference and when they're in trouble, they'll come to you. But you blend in with them, and when they're in trouble, they're going to find somebody else. Standards can be a problem if they simply point to a holier-than-thou attitude. Some people don't know this is Scripture. They've heard this term, but they didn't know it came from the Scripture. Read for me Isaiah 65 and 5. Which say, stand by thyself. Come not stand near by to thyself. Me. Come not near to me. Why? For I am holier For than thou. I am holier than thou. Some people didn't know that that's an actual scripture. They hear people saying, you know, somebody's holier than thou. Did you know that's actually in the word of God? God said there are people that have that attitude. But this is what he says about people that have that attitude. These are a smoke in my nose. They are a smoke in my nose. A fire that burneth all day, all the day. God said, I can't stand them. They irritate me. That's what God says. I mean, isn't that what smoke in your nose does? God says it irritates me. People have that kind of attitude. They're holier than everybody else. That irritates me. Matthew 23, I'm trying to get through these last few verses. I only got this passage and one more verse and we're done. And we're done with the lesson. So, so Matthew 23, 1 through 7 then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. Whoa, 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 whoa. Boy, we hear so much about the Pharisees. Oh, they're horrible. Those Pharisees. In fact, if somebody really wants to slap down a Christian, you're a Pharisee. But did you hear what Jesus just said about the Pharisees? Read verse 3 again. All therefore. All. Wait a minute. What's the first word? All. All therefore. Whatsoever they whatsoever bid. Whatsoever they bid you. Observe. Observe. That observe that and do. observe and do. Jesus said. They sit in Moses' seat. Now, Moses' seat was a special place in the synagogue. It's where the teacher sat. That's what they called it, the seat of Moses. And it was the, the position of the teacher who held authority over the congregation. And Jesus said the scribes and the Pharisees hold that authority. And so if they tell you to do something, you do it. You obey them. 
He didn't say, yeah, you don't have to listen to them. They're just a bunch of Pharisees. Yeah. He said, if they teach it, do it. Well, a lot of people didn't know that's in the Bible. In fact, I, I can almost guarantee if I took a poll tonight, very few of you sitting here knew that was in the Bible. But it's there. Whatever they bid you to do, do it. And then he goes on to say, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Now, here's the thing. He said, if they tell you to do it, do it. But he said, I do recognize they say it, they don't do it. But that doesn't mean you don't have to do it. Whoa. They don't live by it themselves. But you better. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Read. For they bind heavy burdens. They bind a heavy burdens. And grievous to be born. Oh, they're so strict. They're so strict at that church. Yeah. Jesus said they bind heavy burdens. Grievous to be born. And they lay them, they on, lay them on men's shoulders. shoulders. And they themselves, they will, themselves not them will not move them with, one of, with one of their fingers. But all their works. All their do. works they do for to be seen, to of, be men. seen of men. For they make, they they make, make broad, broad their phylacteries. Their and enlarge the they borders enlarge of their the borders of their garments. They love the uppermost, they love rooms, the at uppermost rooms at feasts. And the chief, and the chief seats, seats in, the in the synagogues. And greetings, and in, the greetings in the markets. And to be called, to of, be men, called of men. Rabbi, 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 or teacher, teacher. Now, now, look, Jesus said, he said, boy, they are so strict. They're so strict. But they don't want to live by their own strict rules. Nevertheless, you live by them. Now, here's the thing, saints of God. You walk into an apostolic church, and the devil wants to tell you, they're so strict at this church. They're so strict at this church. Well, I want to tell you one thing. Whatever is being preached here, I can promise you I'm doing my best to live it. And I can promise you the leadership of the church is doing their best to live it. Unlike the Pharisees of Jesus' day. But even when the Pharisees were strict, Jesus did not excuse the people from obeying them. Even when they were strict and they were hypocrites about their strictness, Jesus did not excuse the people from obeying them. Now, you don't have that excuse here. Well, I got quiet. You can't point and say, well, they're preaching one thing and living something different. No, 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 no. We're living what we preach. How much more do you think he expects you to live by what's taught? Well, we're going deep tonight. This is the year of depth, you know. So, let me just be clear. I've, I've got to wrap this up. I've got to quit. I'm seven minutes over. I've got to quit. Let me wrap this up tonight. Standards are not an end in and of themselves. 
They don't save us. The standard itself doesn't save us. If, if the standard is what saved us, the Amish would be saved. Standards don't save us. Standards keep us saved. But the other side of this is this. A lack of standards will condemn us. Though the standard doesn't save us, a lack of standards will condemn us. Read Hebrews 12 and 14. Follow peace with Follow all men. Follow peace with all men. And holiness. And holiness. Without which, without which no man, shall, no see man shall see the Lord. They don't save us, but without them, we won't be saved. Let's stand tonight. Musicians, come. Thank God for some standards. I told the church in Mountain View last night, I, I went there specifically to do some teaching. Um, he wanted me to teach on Sunday about apostolic doctrine. And so we took Sunday morning and Sunday night and taught apostolic doctrine. And then he wanted me to come back last night and teach on separation. And so I did. And, and I told the church in Mountain View, I said, don't resent the standards that are preached in this church. Instead, thank God that you've got somebody that cares enough about you to build a fence to protect you. It always bothered me. I mean, it really did. I, you know, when we lived in, in, in Colorado, uh, right there in Canyon City, Colorado, where we lived, there was, there was a, um, a road there for the hall that went up this, they call them the hogbacks. And they were, they were just, they were hills. Because, um, I mean, you're in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains here. And, and uh, you're actually down in the valley of the Rocky Mountains is where we were in Canyon City. And, um, but there were these, these hills. This one hill in particular went up 800 feet at the peak. It was 800 feet above the city. And they built a road, prisoners, because Canyon City was a prison town. And they built a road to go over the top of this 800-foot hogback. And there were points on that road where when you're sitting in your, it's a one-way road, you're sitting in your vehicle and you look out the window, it's 800 feet down. I mean, the road's all there is. There's nothing there. There are no guardrails. There are no fences. I, actually, I had a preacher. I took a preacher up through there, and he's, he's screaming out, crying out to God. He was. He said, God, I promise you, if you'll get me off this thing, I'll never come back up here again. He was making all kinds of vows to God that night. I was just laughing. I'd been up it many times. I used to love to go up there at night, and there was one place where you could pull over, and there was a little bit of an overlook there, and you could walk out a little ways. Now, you know, I don't like to get too close, but I could walk out a little ways, and I could see the entire city. And especially at night when, when the lights of the houses would come on, and you could stand up there, and you could look over the city. I loved to go up there and pray and pray over that city. But it did bother me that they would build this road and not put fences there. 
not put some kind of guardrail to protect you. I mean, it, it'd be easy, especially if the road's wet, slippery. I mean, you know, we, we had winter up there. Man, you get that road slick. And I, there was one man, in fact, I think you know some of his kids, that he was in the church in Kenya City. He told me that back before he got in church, he was high one night and got on his motorcycle high and drove over that thing. I think he told me he was doing a hundred and something an hour high. How he survived that, I don't know. Now, I took it very carefully. I went a lot of times, but I was very careful when I went. But it just bothered me that there were no fences. Now, I think at that one spot where you could pull over, I think they did have a fence right there, if I remember correctly. No, there wasn't. I, I, I don't know. I, I think there was a fence right there, a little guardrail of some kind right there at that one spot. But, but the rest of it, there wasn't. And uh, it bothered me. Because I feel like when you really care about somebody, you're going to build some fences. You're going to have some protection there. You don't want people taking risks and chances. And saints, that's what our standards are all about. They're not about trying to control your life. They're about offering you safety and protection to keep you from being destroyed. There are a whole lot of things in this life that are pulling for you. The world and the devil and your flesh are attacking you constantly. And they want to pull you over the edge. But if you'll, if you'll fall in love with these fences, they'll keep you safe. Let's thank God tonight, can we? Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord, everybody.